Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Mizell. And I hope that you are all in the right mindset to change the way that you look at the way that you do the things that you do. Because my guest today is Elliot Rowe, who is a mindset coach. So uh, Elliot, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me. Hey, Ari, thanks for having me on the show. So what what is a mindset coach? Um, well, my background is hypnotherapy. Um, and as I've been working as a hypnotherapist over the years, more and more I was helping people become top performers. So I was working with professional athletes, CEOs, Wall Street traders, and it became more about trying to help people live their sort of optimal life and let go of their self-sabotages and understand how they could just be a little bit better than they are today. And, and that's the sort of direction I headed in. So rather than just doing hypnotherapy now, there's also some life coaching. Um, we do a lot of goal setting, things like that. Um, but the key is really just anyone who feels there's sort of an invisible barrier holding them back from doing what they know they should do. It's my job to sort of remove that barrier so they're free to reach their full potential so let's let's back up a second there and let's talk about hypnotherapy so i think that hypnotherapy for some people probably brings up images of cons or something that's sort of bunk and i think it's i i know that it's a fairly misunderstood uh methodology so can you talk about that for a second how'd you get into it how do you use it and, and what is it really um, yeah, so I mean, obviously, we have the media portrayal of the hypnotist on yeah. the stage, and it's not helpful that hypnotherapy, you know, uses the same word as hypnosis. Um, right. So you've never made hypnosis. somebody you've never made somebody squawk like a bird or chicken no, or something. No, no. But, I mean, yeah. it, it's a completely you know that's a stage act, and and what I do is much more like a kind of a therapy. Um, sort of backtracking into how I got into this, I had a pretty bad fear of flying. Um, oh. I had a friend recommend a hypnotherapist. I was refusing to take long-haul flights. Um, it was actually impacting my life quite a lot. I went to a hypnotherapist and she cured it in one session and it completely blew my mind. I was really skeptical before I went and then I could fly, um, which for me was, was pretty life-changing. Um, because of that, I decided to go and do a course on hypnotherapy and um, I, didn't, I never really thought it would become a career. I was doing it more out of the fact it helped me so much. I wanted to be able to do it for friends and family. Um, and then that sort of, it just went really, really well and, and grew into a, a relatively large business. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's sort of the background. In terms of what hypnotherapy is for anyone who doesn't quite understand it, um, lots of people listening to the show, I'm sure, use meditation, meditation apps of some kind. And with meditation, what you're looking to do is clear your mind completely. So you're letting go of your thoughts and taking control of your thoughts once you reach that relaxed state. With hypnotherapy, rather than clearing your mind completely, you're looking to focus in on one individual 
issue with all of your focus and you can start to view it in a way that you wouldn't be able to view it if we were just having a conversation right now. Um, and that's what allows us to access memories that might explain the root cause of problems, might allow you to see things from a third party perspective when you're making mistakes. Um, and really that's what it is. It's just a way of sort of stepping outside of your own programming, seeing what's going on, adjusting it, and then stepping back in. There's, there's no magic, but it can sometimes feel a bit magic to people. Well, and so what, what that brings up for me, because I feel like I, I, in my business, dealing with people and productivity issues, I deal with this a lot. It sounds like people are often getting in their own way. Yeah, I mean, it's the majority of the issues I deal with are some form of self-sabotage or another. And nearly always the root cause is based in childhood. Um, so they've got some belief they don't deserve to be successful and they sabotage their behavior repeatedly um, until they see someone like myself or some you know, some other way of dealing with that issue and work through this, this belief of, of what they are capable of doing, what they should be doing. And then they find that things are as easy as they should be. Well, and I imagine that some of those childhood issues are not necessarily like intense traumas, right? I mean, there, there's, there can be very, they can be kind of small things that can lead to these sort of snowball effects. Yeah, it can be incredibly subtle stuff. So, um, you know, this isn't, oh, I will, you know, I had no trauma as a child. I'm fine. Um, the truth of it is, if you know you have a resistance that you're self-sabotaging, there is a reason why you're doing that. It's not happening randomly. Um, and when we go back to those issues, I mean, it can be, I mean, the classic is, you know, the teacher telling someone they're stupid and they'll amount to nothing, parents not being loving enough, um, you know, those sorts of things. So subtle things that teach the child the way they believe they should frame the world. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be violence or, you know, anything particularly vicious. Um, a lot of the time it is these more subtle triggers. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, not to turn the spotlight on anything here, but it's just in my own life, I, uh, my, I, I was always told that sort of like my mother would basically always say that everything I did was just genius. Everything I did was amazing. And, and, and it took until I was like 11 to realize that that didn't really have a lot of meaning to it, you know? And so I, I realized later in life that I've gone through life without really being challenged very much. So when I do, my response to it is actually very defensive and not really mature. And yeah, I mean, that, that's a classic example, ready for hypnotherapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly the sort of stuff that will come up. So, you know, it can be subtle, but these things can sometimes be really expensive for people. Um, you know, so if I'm dealing with a, a trader who gets excessively emotional, um, it can be incredibly expensive. Or I work with a lot of successful professional poker players, same situation. If self-sabotage kicks in when you're on the final table of an event that there's $7 million for first, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very expensive issue to have. And, and they're the sort of things that I'm helping people with. So, but now also, are, is this, a, this is not quite the same thing as somebody like choking, right? I mean, on a, in a or is it? I mean, because to me that, that's, well, I don't know, you tell me. Um, so, so it's an interesting one. Um, the work that I would do would be to try and stop people choking also. Um, whether the choking, is, I mean, choking, I believe in most cases will be a form of self-sabotage. Yeah. Um, so the person is too emotionally invested. Um, they're not sure if they deserve the success. They don't feel the confidence. And then something that they can do normally very easily, let's say it's an athlete, something they can do in the gym with ease 
on the big stage, they find that their body just can't function and they can't do what they should be doing. Um, you know, I see that I, personally. I see that as a form of self sabotage, and and that's the sort of thing we'd be trying to make sure doesn't happen when they're on the big stage. So. Uh, once you identify what one of these causes are, how do you begin to address it? You know, like you said, you overcame your fear of flying in one session. I mean, what, what, once you identify what the cause, like, what, what do you actually do to remedy it? Um, you reframe it um, and you remove the emotions. So I'll go through my example because it's quite an easy one to understand. So, um, in the hypnotherapy session, she's tracing back root causes of um, where my fear of flying is coming from. So there's a couple of bumpy flights I mentioned. And then we get to this very early memory of me being around three or four years old at my grandfather's house, being shown a picture of a private jet um, and being told, oh, that was your granddad's company's private jet. It crashed and his business partner died. Oh. Um and from that point, apparently, I thought that planes were incredibly dangerous things. Now, I didn't remember that memory before the session. And what made hypnotherapy so interesting to me personally and why I ended up doing it is I went home and I spoke to my mom and it was like, yeah, I came up with this memory um, about some plane crashing that granddad had, you know, was involved in. And she said, oh, yeah, that happened. And basically, when I realized that, yes, that actually was the real root cause, um, that was really impactful to me, um, especially as I wasn't aware of it prior to going to the session. But what you do is you reframe that memory. So what's terribly scary to a child at three or four years old hearing that, you know, maybe my granddad would have died is effectively the way that was being generated. Um, when you see it through your adult eyes, it's not a particularly terrifying thing. Uh, the, the classic example of this is if I'm dealing with school bullying issues for somebody, um, you know, someone who's being bullied terribly at eight years old. Um, when we go back to those memories, I'll have them look at those situations through their adult eyes and these situations that even looking back as an adult, maybe they've been feeling, you know, pain in their stomach or anxiety issues if they think of seeing their school bully again, they suddenly see this as two eight-year-olds in the playground and they can sort of see it for what it really was rather than see it as life or death. Because the problem is the child often sees these things as life or death. Um, but obviously, as adults, we know in the vast majority of the cases, that's not that's not the um, situation with bullying. And as you reframe it, um, have the person let go of the emotions of the memories, then those triggers disappear in their everyday lives. That's really so. That's really interesting. It's, I mean, it, it almost sounds too simple, but yeah. At the same time, as an adult, you could be like, "Oh yeah, obviously, a private jet thing. It's not going to crash. Like that's just you know. Now I know statistics and I know odds. And like that's just not likely. So that's silly. <laughs> um, so that makes sense. Really, how you can sort of break through that. So. When how do, how does this play out in those high pressure high performance settings like the poker table like the trading where uh, it, it maybe it's not so simple right and they're I don't know in that situation they have to be able to recognize what's going on um, in a lot of these cases these triggers are as simple be it for uh -huh. a professional trader or a poker player or for anyone else um, because usually they're just insecurities so we're looking to work through so let's say in poker. Um, a hand goes against you, you should have won. The player might have a feeling of entitlement, and then they might start playing erratically. 
we'd be looking for why do you feel entitled do you understand how the game works where's it coming from and again often there are these childhood memories that we work through but the key is to remove the trigger that's firing at the table rather than try and have someone solve the problem once it happens so we're trying to remove the reason for them to be angry or frustrated or, or lose their focus and it's removing those triggers a bit like you know like the say someone struggles with road rage um we we want it to be that when someone cuts them up they smile and wave and they can deal with it we don't want it to be that they lose their temper and then we're trying to give them a way of then dialing that back and it's the same with any of the professional sports we're trying to work out what those triggers are remove or reduce the triggers so that they're just not firing in those in those moments so that's really interesting too because so I I was somebody who suffered very well suffered but I was I had very very bad road rage I guess they suffered but um <laughs> I what I don't know some somehow whatever a couple of years ago I started just getting myself in the mindset I that uh, anytime somebody would do something obnoxious in a car I would just tell myself they're taking someone to the hospital they're taking someone to the hospital they're taking someone to the hospital you know like and it's, so it's that's why they cut me off that's why they're in a hurry whatever and that really worked um, so, I, I mean, I totally get that. It's really, again, it's just, it, it's almost frustrating to me that we get in our way so much. So, but with the people that you're working with, like long-term, cause I know that you do a lot of coaching with a lot of poker players and stuff like that. What, what, um, you know, since it is sort of a simple issue, as you say, like long-term, what are you doing? Are you just trying to unpack it, unpack it or what? Um, so, so the early sessions are usually relatively major issues. So people usually come to me with, I have a problem with anger. I have a problem with anxiety, whatever it might be. So early sessions are like the ones I'm describing where we're going through the past, trying to work through things. And then as the sessions progress over the, over time, um, it may be specific prep for a particularly large buy-in event for a poker player. It might be working on their focus. It might be fine tuning different emotions. Trying. The, the truth is it's, it's a bit like my martial arts, you know, you can never be perfect, but you can keep seeking perfection with your mindset. So everyone always has something they can work on, but as we move forward, it becomes more and more subtle. Um, but for, for a lot of the guys, it's, it's very, very much worth it because the money that they're playing for, I mean, same with the CEOs, oftentimes like a 1% improvement can be an absolutely enormous amount of money for them. Um, you know, I've had clients win tens of millions of dollars. Um, so it's, it's something where they're looking to just fine tune and fine tune and perfect and perfect. Um, um, and that's that's how the sort of the more ongoing work goes. Okay. So, what are uh, w when you're working with these high performers? Do you? I mean, well, I, so two sides of this. One is, do you see any sort of common? I mean, you're saying a lot of this happens in childhood, but are you seeing sort of common things that happen? And the, the reason I ask that, just to give you sort of context here, is uh, I, I imagine that there's a type of person that ends up becoming a professional poker player. Right. And there's a type of person that ends up becoming a professional golfer, for example, usually. I mean, I would say. So do you see that there's certain kinds of things that th that all those people end up dealing with that are similar? Um, I, I think for those groups rather for the, for the groups of high performers. Um, I mean, with within poker, um, one of the issues that comes up a lot is 
being able to view it as a truly long-term game. Unlike almost any other sport, you can be the best poker player in the world and you can lose to someone who's a novice. If you're a chess player, you're never, ever going to lose to a novice. And that can be very hard for professionals to deal with. um, And that can spike emotion. So that's something I see as a constant theme with them. But when it comes to the performance anxiety, so I've worked with UFC champions, I've worked with um, rugby players, like um, like just all sorts of sports, Olympians, stuff like that. When we're looking at like um, these anxiety issues and confidence issues, um, really that's all the self-sabotage things. And, and the things in the past oftentimes are the same issues that come up, whether it's a UFC fighter, a poker player, anyone else. It's this self-belief or limiting self-beliefs that have been created that in some way I don't deserve this level of success. And it's basically allowing the person to believe I do believe I do deserve this level of success and I'm allowed to perform at my best. Um, certainly with the fighting, there, there are a lot of guys who are incredibly good in the gym and really, really struggle to bring that to the octagon um and that's that's something that again is just this self-belief and it's not something you can just tell yourself because obviously it'd be easy to say hey yeah i believe in myself i can just do xyz the truth is oftentimes there's some program running in the background that's saying you're not good enough you're not good enough and you know whose voice is that is my mom's voice is my dad's voice is my maths teacher, whoever it is that the person has taken too much heed of their advice in the past. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, what to you is one of the bigger challenges in the work that you do particularly? I mean, when you're, when you're working with these people, either, I guess, either discovering the problem itself or, or the, the protocol afterwards, but sort of what really challenges you with this kind of work? Um, I'll be honest with the with the high performers. It's not actually as challenging. Um, <laughs> the, the, the most challenging work, if I'm being absolutely honest with you, is um, when I'm dealing with people with PTSD, and um, there are people who, you know, have significant issues. They've come back from war, perhaps, and they're dealing with very significant issues and traumas, or they've been abused in some way. Um, they they can be very emotionally charged sessions, and in terms of for me as a therapist, if, if you have a number of those in one day, which happens sometimes just by chance, that's the, they're the toughest days um, because obviously you want to help everyone, um, but you always take on a little bit of that baggage. So so that would be the, the most challenging part is making sure that everything stays balanced. Yeah. Well, with the, so that's with the PTSD one, how does that work? Because that's obviously not reframing with your adult brain because it happened in your adult brain, you, you typically for those, uh, for people who are at war, right? So what's the different approach there? Um, so, so in those approaches, you're, you're sort of using exercises and things for them to release the emotions. Um, I'll have them do exercises like I want you to start to see it again, but this time in black and white, draining the emotion from the memory. Um, I want you to forgive yourself for what happened. I want you to remove yourself from the situation. Just different techniques and different things work for different individuals, but they reach a stage often where they'll get quite upset. They'll cry. They'll release a lot of the pent up emotion and then i've had quite a number of these people come back saying that the issues that they were feeling with ptsd have have gone since that point so it's sort of an awful lot of trapped emotion in those situations unfortunately you know it's not something where i can say i can cure ptsd obviously it's not as simple as that but for some people it's it's very very effective um to work on ptsd this way yeah and 
in, in so in those kinds of conversations as well, I'm just I'm curious too because the the PTSD obviously can be very very fresh uh, in their minds depending on what they're dealing with, and also they can manifest in very different ways. So, uh, are you like how much of that? How how much of revisiting the actual traumatic event do you have to do? I mean, it sounds like that could be kind of dangerous in some cases. Um, I think in it's something where in general there has to be some level of revisiting. Yeah. Um, oftentimes looking at it from the outside and desensitizing yourself to it. So not necessarily reliving it as they were, but we'll do things like watch it on a cinema screen. What does it look like? Turn it into a movie, shrink that cinema screen down to a TV size. How does that feel as you take control of that memory? And then, okay, I want you to turn that TV off. How does it feel seeing that you have the capability to turn that memory off when you choose to? Things like that. And basically giving them a sense of control, which in a lot of cases is what they're feeling they're lacking. And once they start seeing that they can take that control within the hypnotherapy session, um, they start to understand they can take more control in their everyday life with this as well. And that's something that they, um, it, it, it can be very powerful for people. Um, it, in honesty, it's not a large percentage of my work, um, but it's certainly the, the tougher side of the work. So what about your own sort of introspection? Do you ever have to look at this? I mean, a lot of people say that therapists are the most messed up people there are, and they have to see their own therapist. So, are you? <laughs> hey, hey, no. I mean, I'm I'm really certainly really open with with my side of this thing. Um, I I see a, a hypnotherapist every two weeks. I have done. It's actually I was speaking to her this week. It's for the last six years, um, so quite some time. Um, because I just find it helps me to optimize and it helps me let go of the stress and tension that I take on from the sessions throughout my weeks and i found that if i don't go and see a therapist myself then sometimes the pressure from the sessions can start to build up and i start to notice that in my own life and maybe i won't be sleeping as well or something of that nature so yeah I've, i follow my own advice and um i actually see i've seen someone yeah every two weeks yeah okay so uh the the last question i always like to ask um and i i, I feel like i'm going to be very excited about your answer but what are the what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? Wow. Um, <laughs> um, in terms of to be more effective, just in general, I mean, scheduling, I think, is the key thing. Um, so really understand, really balancing your day out. I've seen that be really, really effective. Um, having some level of goal setting in place, different people have different preferences for goal setting, but I think it's important that you have some idea of where you're looking to go and what you're looking to do. And then um, probably exercise is another thing I've seen, um, certainly with, I, I don't know the listeners are predominantly business people or not, but people who, um, CEOs, um, people in business who say they haven't got time to exercise, Oftentimes, um, when they start exercising, they tell me their efficiencies increased and they have, they feel like they've got more time than before. So, I mean, obviously not the most original of answers, but I think these things stand true and definitely have huge impacts on people's productivity and efficiency. Well, uh, yeah, so this is, this has been very, uh, awesome for me. So thank you for taking the time to tell all that you have, uh, where can people find out more about you and also the new podcast and everything else? Um, so if you want to check out my podcast, I've got a podcast called The A-Game Advantage. Uh, we had Brendan Bashard on last week. Um, we've got a number of interesting guests coming on to talk about 
getting into your A-game. Um, ElliotRow.com is my personal website, and I have an app you can download if you're interested in seeing what hypnotherapy is like and if it's good for you, which is called Primed Mind. And um, you can download that for free, and there's loads of free content you can check out. And then if you like it, you can subscribe. Awesome. Elliot, thank you so much. Hey, Ari, great to have a chat. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. If you'd like to get more done in less time, join our exclusive community of entrepreneurs and visionaries, the Less Doing Labs. It's free and just for you. Go to lessdoinglabs.com slash more done.